Okay. Well, let's begin uh, this last session of this section of Living the Faith, as we always do with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we ask you for specifically the type of grace, the kind of grace that we need to be selfless, to be altruistic, to be focused outward. We ask that we would be able to amalgamate everything that we have learned over the past year and use it for your glory and for our own sanctification. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so like I said, this is session nine, becoming a servant, the living embodiment of the faith. So everything we've talked about, which we're going to review real fast here, um, it kind of culminates in this. It's like, so well, how do you put all of this together and get something out of it? This is what we're going to go through now. Recap, the purpose of human life. This is something we should be thinking about when we get up in the morning. What is the context of my life in the universe? What is the, the purpose of my life? It's to know the Lord. It's to love the Lord. It's to serve the Lord in this life so we can be happy with him forever in the next. Straight out of the Baltimore Catechism. Fantastic answer. So we are designed to do this. We're designed to become who we really are. We're designed to be our real selves, minus brokenness and evil. So this notion of, of living the faith is how we get there. It's how we become saints. It's, it's how our sainthood is manifested in the world. So this series is an aid to that, okay? And it terminates in this session with making a PSP, personalized spiritual path. From there, we moved into reconciliation. Life is short. We need to reconcile with people. We need to go to confession. We're gonna go more into that later. We need healing from all of our wounds. We need deliverance from anything that's spiritual, that's not of God, that's oppressing us or tempting us or obsessing us, whatever it might be. We have to have the way that we're gonna be integrated into the sacramental life of the church nailed down. All of that stuff comes from the mind of God. It's straight from the mind of God down into human life. How are we gonna interact with that? Gotta have our prayer game on point. We should be able to, no matter where we are, encounter God in intimacy, just in the inner sanctum of, of our mind and our heart. Very powerful aid to all of that is getting on board with some kind of devotion to the Blessed Mother. She was a perfect person, never sinned. She did all of this perfectly. She nailed it, okay? And now she lives forever to intercede for us so that we can do it too, so we can be where she is. So she's the perfect person to ask to pray for us in this regard. And then last time we talked about um, the scriptures, reading the word of God, reading also the writings of the saints, those who actually did this, who actually made it. They became the true version of themselves. So in this session, in our last session, we're gonna look at, in light of all of that, What's most logical? You know, what do you do with all of this? If the point is to actually live it, then how do we live it? This is where it comes in the PSP, the personalized spiritual plan. We need a plan. We've talked about it before. 
you don't have a plan to do something, it's not going to turn out very well. What if you went to the Super Bowl and you're just like, let's just go out there and play football, guys. I think it'll be fine. Like, it's not going to be fine. You're going to lose. Like those guys, they are watching tapes and they're, they're running plays and they're doing everything so that the plan is solid and, and it's secure. So it's a plan, but it's spiritual. It has to do with the metaphysical, with the ontological side of this universe, not directly with physics in a way. And it's personalized. It's right in the core of our very being. There's nobody like us. Never has been, isn't now, never will be. We're totally infinitely unique. So the way that we intersect subjectively with these unbelievable universal objective realities is gonna be a little bit different. It doesn't change them at all. And it doesn't change the fact that we should intersect with them. It just kind of changes how the jello fits into the mold, all right? So this is meant to be a personalized guide to help you become the same, your true self. Because there are different spiritualities in the church, right? So what do you lean toward? You mean Franciscan, Dominican, maybe you lean toward Carmelite. There's different methods of prayer, right? What do you lean toward? Mental, written, scriptural reading, meditation, different types of service to the poor, to couples, uh, catechesis and teaching. There's deliverance ministry. There's healing, prayer ministries, all kinds of things. These are the things that we have to figure out if we want to be successful. They're the constituent elements of the plan. We've got to know them if we want to actually reach the goal of becoming saints. So this is, in part, the spiritual energy that we have here is getting serious and kind of buckling down and saying, okay, I might fail, but I am going to try with every fiber of my being to do this. And I'm going to beg God for the grace to complete the work that, I, that, that has begun. Okay. So first thing, if you're watching this, if you're listening to this, um, get a notepad and a pen or get your phone. I have most of my notes. Most of the things that I write down are on my phone or they're in the digital world. And so I do kind of recommend that you write these things down digitally so that you can go back and edit them easily. But if you prefer, you know, just writing it down, pen and paper, great. But you want something to begin jotting these things down now. And you're gonna tape that sucker to the wall in your bedroom, so it's a reminder. Seven categories we're gonna go through. So I want you to write down the categories. I'll give you the number when we go through them and leave a fair amount of space under each one, because you're going to want to write a lot of, of notes for yourself. In this exercise, what we're doing here in this session is we're just initiating. This is something that's going to take um, a lot more prayer, a lot more contemplation, uh, a lot of invoking the Holy Spirit for wisdom. And maybe these things that are a little shrouded in shadow right now, they're not quite clear. It's murky water. They're going to get clear. And the longer you do it and the more you do it, the clearer and clearer and clearer it gets. I promise you that. Okay. Category one, reconciliation. 
So this is going back through what we've done, but in a way where we're actually buckling down and saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually do this now, I'm gonna write these things. Reconciliation. What sin or what sins have we not repented of? For some of us, there's some stuff that we just kind of, we're letting it ride. Either because it's something in the past that we don't really wanna look at because it's also painful or because it's integrated into a current pattern in our life that we are psycho-emotionally and psycho-spiritually attached to for some reason. And we're not ready in our will, in our choosing power to detach from it. And so we think like, eh, I'm gonna tell them six, seven, eight, but not nine, 10, and 11 when we go to confession, that type of thing. Maybe it's something we're ashamed of. Maybe it's something we're scared to confess to another person, quote unquote, or we're doubtful that it's gonna work, quote unquote. Write those sins down underneath the corresponding capital sin. If capital sins are the seven deadly sins, I'll steal something from another theologian because it's great and it helps me remember the seven deadly sins. It's super easy. It's the acronym pale gas. You just think of some like deadly can of gas that was chucked through the window or something, this green, terrible haze, like, ugh, sin, okay? So pale gas, pride, anger, lust, envy, gluttony, avarice, and sloth. Pride, anger, lust, envy, gluttony, avarice, and sloth. If you can remember that pale gas, it's going to give you a framework for making an even better and even deeper confession. So when I structure my own confessions, I always structure them around that acronym and those sins. Because what it does is over time, it will show you patternistically what you have going on. It's like, oh, I deal with this repeatedly, but I don't deal with that. That's interesting. So this is the thing I need to pray into. This is the thing I need to ask healing and, and, and deliverance for. Two, you know, who are the people that you need to forgive? We all have some people that we need to forgive. It's impossible to get through this life without being wounded. Who needs to forgive you? Write those names down. So the action here is to go to confession, a general confession, if you've never made one. Contact those people that you need to ask for forgiveness. And we do it now so that we don't have to do it on our deathbed is what it comes down to. You've heard me say before, when we come to the end of this life, people really just want a few things. And those things are reconciliation with God and with other people. Then they're ready to go. They recognize they're not taking anything with them. And so they wanna be right. They want rectitude with God and each other. That's what we're built for, relationships. So we want rectitude in that relationship. So we do it now, so we don't have to do it on our deathbed because it's better to do it now so that we have time to actually progress past the point that the sin artificially stops us at. We can't get past that point. It's stopping us artificially from spiritually growing. So we do it now so we can go up, 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 up. Second big category, healing. 
Who has hurt you in your past? We, we all have those people. Who has hurt you in your past? Have you forgiven them is the question. So write down their names, write them down. What wounds did they cause? Or another way of putting it, what are the major wounds in your heart? The things that you've thought maybe could, you could never be healed of, write them down because when those wounds aren't healed, they drive something else. They drive a desire, they drive a thought pattern, they drive a volitional movement within ourselves. And we can't actually get to the higher levels of sanctity without being healed of them. So the action here is this simple prayer. Like I said, you can go back and pause it and write it down and whatnot, but it's Lord Jesus Christ. In your name and by the power of your blood, I ask you to heal me totally and completely. I give you permission to heal me and to access every part of me, my mind, body, heart, soul, and spirit. Heal me especially of these wounds and then name them. Name the ones you've written down. In Jesus' name, amen. Sets us free. Three, freedom. It's a matter of asking our, ourselves basic questions like, what are my most common temptations? Because we're not tempted to everything, usually. We have, as you've heard me say, our brand. And figuring out our brand of fallenness, our brand of sin, it actually helps us overcome those temptations and get past them. We can actually achieve a point in our spiritual life where we do not deal with the things we have dealt with in the past in the same way. All sin is ridiculous, remember. It's objectively ridiculous. So if we're struggling with it, it means we've kind of been tricked a little bit or we've tricked ourselves into thinking that it's a good idea when it's inherently not. So what are the most common temptations that I deal with? Um, if I were to name a spirit or spirits, which ones do I think influence my thinking and feeling and choosing? If I had to put a name on them. The action here at step three at freedom is the very simple prayer. We've gone over it before. I rebuke, reject, and renounce the spirit of fill it in in the name of Jesus Christ. And I ask the Holy Spirit to fill me up completely from the top of my head to the soles of my feet in Jesus' name, okay? So you're rejecting that spirit. You're kicking it out in the name of Jesus and you're asking that the Holy Spirit fill and occupy the place where it had been. I promise you, you start doing this regularly, you're gonna see results. Four, prayer. So personal prayer and sacramental prayer. These are very basic concrete realities. And I highly recommend that, that you write them down and concretize them in your life. So personal prayer, where am I gonna pray every day? Where? Is it gonna be in a chapel, a special chair I like next to this window that overlooks this park, whatever it might, just where? When am I gonna pray every day? What time of day? I have an appointment with the God of the universe. When is that appointment gonna start? How long am I gonna pray? every day and what 
will I pray every day? What is the content of it? And you can go back and listen to the talk on prayer to get some ideas for, for, for the content. But you want to know the where, the when, and the how long, at least. For me, I know that at 7.30 in the chapel, I'm going to be there for an hour, at least. And if I don't do that, the entire day is messed up. It's just messed up, starting off on the wrong foot. But if I go, my heart is open enough to receive the grace that I need to live just that day, at least striving for holiness, even if I don't actually get there. Okay. Two, sacramental prayer. When and where am I going to go to Mass weekly? Right? Got to have a place where you land. There's sort of this postmodern um, habit of kind of bouncing around. And I did this a lot as a layman. There were some days where I went to, I was going to Mass daily, where I, I just went to a different church every day. It's kind of fun, actually. So, you know, I mean, if that works for you, that's fine. But I highly encourage, you know, having at least a parish community, somewhere where you're connected. You know the people, you love the people, they know you, they love you. And you can think to yourself, if I go there, I know I'm immediately integrated into that community. So where and when am I going to go to Mass weekly? Where and when am I going to go to confession monthly? Daily prayer, weekly Mass, monthly confession, right? That confession appointment is very important. Don't let it be uh, something to dissuade you from going to confession when you really need to. Sometimes we fall and it's like, hey, I got to go to confession before I receive communion again. Great, go, you know, go that day if you can. But also having your cycle like, all right, well, you know, third Saturday of the month, fourth Sunday of the month, you know, second Wednesday of the month, I go to confession. Keeps my soul clean. So. The action here is writing down when, where, and how long you're going to pray and writing down when and where you're going to go to mass weekly and go to confession monthly. Five, Mary, Mary. So we're asking ourselves the question, who is Mary to me? Is she really my spiritual mother? So objectively, she's everybody's spiritual mother because he's Jesus's mom. And anything that applies to God Almighty incarnate applies to us on some level. And her maternity is one of those things. So is there anything that's preventing me from really asking for her help in becoming who I really am, in this enterprise, in this process of trying to become a saint, striving for sanctity? If so, what is it? What's the obstacle there? Because if you know the obstacle, then you can begin to work on it. So the action here is picking a day. My recommendation is to pick a day to begin the maybe the Marian consecration, according to, to St. Louis de Montfort, or maybe start praying the rosary daily. If the rosary seems like a lot, maybe a decade of it. Okay. So for me, just my little habit is that if I get in the car and I have not prayed the rosary that day, that's the first thing that happens. I can't make a phone call. I can't listen to music. I can't do anything else until that rosary is, is completed. And it keeps me on track 
for praying it daily, for communing with the Blessed Mother, our powerful intercessor on a daily basis. Six, scripture and sacred reading. So do I really believe that the scriptures are the word of God, that they descend directly from the mind of God, that they're the logos, the second person of the Trinity, written down in a format that we can understand? Do I really believe that? Have I made an effort to uh, get to know the saints who believed that? The other people have become who they really are through their writings. I've gotten to know them through what they've written, what they've written down. So something we can commit to, the action is committing to a practice like Lexio Divina, like we talked about in, in great detail, maybe once a week in our prayer time, or maybe that becomes the primary content of our prayer time if we're deriving a lot of spiritual good from it. Start with your favorite book of the Bible, whatever it is, or ask the Holy Spirit to lead you to a particular section of scripture that you can slowly go through. It's life itself written down. So if we let it wash over our mind and our heart, it's going to renew it. Or maybe we pick one book written by a saint about how to just kill it at being a saint. You know, this is the great thing about being Catholic. It's like we've been around so long and people have achieved such a high degree of holiness that a lot of them are like, I'm just gonna write this down. Like how you do this, great. <laughs> Get one of those. You know me, my favorite is uh, Introduction to the Devout Life, St. Francis de Sales. But pick one, we listed a bunch of them. Start poking through it slowly, maybe even a little bit each day in that prayer time. Just a couple of pages, maybe even a couple of paragraphs, just to get a taste of what it's like to make it, to reach that state, okay? And then seven, service. So when we're talking about service in our faith, we're talking about two big categories. One is what we call the spiritual works of mercy. And the other one is the corporal works of mercy. So the spiritual works of mercy, that's loving our neighbor by providing for their spiritual needs, their metaphysical needs, what they need in, in the soul part of them. The corporal works of mercy is loving our neighbors by providing for their physical needs, what the body part of them needs. So we are these two parts and we have real needs in both of them and they, they have to be fulfilled. So when we're talking about actually living sainthood, being outward focused, these are some of the things that we can do for people. The spiritual works of mercy are counsel the doubtful. This means we have to know our faith well, really love it, really be studying it with joy. And if someone comes up and like, I don't believe that, that's stupid in the church. Like, to know what the church actually has to say about that. What does she say about herself? Counseling them. Forgive injuries. We could all do this. Like I said, we've all been injured. A lack of forgiveness is one of the primary obstacles that keeps us um, in some kind of spiritual enslavement. It's when we forgive people that things start breaking off of us. So we forgive those injuries. They need that too. Instruct the ignorant. 
Some of us, I, I would put myself in this category as well. We just don't know a lot. You know, we know some, but compared to what can be known, the millions of things that can be done, we just, we don't know. So we know our faith well enough to, to instruct those who don't know. To bear wrongs patiently. I am terrible at this. The other day, I was driving around praying like, God, I just wanna be a saint. I wanna be so patient. Help me to love everybody, da, 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 da. And I felt, you know, the Jesus feely goodies on the inside as I'm praying. And then on some back road, I got to an area where there was a person with the sign, you know, the slow and the stop and whatnot. And so way, way off in the distance, I started to, to slow down and come to a stop. And this person like waved the stop sign at me as if I were going to run into them 15 feet in front of them and gave me the hand thing and like all of this big song and dance. And I thought, you know what? I'm gonna stop where I wanna stop. And that's when the Lord very gently said, that's where you're at. You're not at the severe persecution level. You're at the someone with a slow sign waving it at you level. That's pretty low in terms of bearing wrongs patiently. <laughs> so you need a lot of growth. But this is one of the things that we can do for people because we never know where they're at, what they're going through. If we bear those wrongs patiently, there might be an opportunity to share the gospel with them. We admonish the sinner. So it's an actual act of love, act of charity. If someone is going uh, the direction of evil to say, hey, you know, there's a big infinite cavern of darkness and death over that way. I love you. So you shouldn't go that way. That's not judgment or hate or wrath or anything like that. That's, that's love. Someone were walking toward a cliff and they were blindfolded. You would tell them, right? So we admonish the sinner and we recognize that we're sinners too. We pray for the living and the dead. So those who are here, we pray that they convert the dead. If they are in a state of purgation, that they be released from that purgation and be in the heart of the father quickly. And then we comfort the sorrowful. There's just a lot of sorrow in this life. You know, the sad things happen. We should be the kind of people who can interiorize the grace of the Holy Spirit and go to someone and say, hey, it's going to be all right. Our Lord is king of the universe. He has power over absolutely everything. And he's infinite love itself. And to be able to distill those truths down into the actual situation that is affecting that person. That's the spiritual side of it. The physical side of it is maybe a little more clear cut. We feed the hungry. Everybody gets hungry. We give drink to the thirsty. Everybody gets thirsty. We give alms to the poor in a way that is wise, that's actually going to help them. Shelter the homeless. This is something we can work toward on a grander, larger societal level as well. What are the solutions to homelessness rather than perhaps addressing only individual instances of it? We visit the sick. We all get sick from time to time. Some of us seriously sick, some of us on our deathbed going 
to that person or having somebody come to us, it's a huge consolation. Like, hey, I was thinking about you. I was praying for you. I know you're laid up and I, I just want to stop by, see how you are. I got permission from Father Tim to bring you communion if you'd like to receive communion. Great. Visit prisoners. This is a forgotten one sometimes. I love going to the prison because guys who are in prison, well, I go to the, the male prison, you know, most of the time. Guys who are in prison, anybody who's in prison, they have some time to think. And a lot of times the ones that come to mass or come to a group like visitors would go to are the ones who have thought, you know what? I think I've gone the wrong way. I need the grace of our Lord to change my life. And that's an opportunity to share the grace of the Holy Spirit with them on an even deeper level. And then we bury the dead. One of the things that stood out in early Christianity in the early beginnings of the church is that the Romans found it confounding that Christians would go out and just bury the dead wherever they were. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Even respecting the corporal reality of somebody, of putting them back into the earth from whence they came, is an act of worship to God and a respect to that person. It's a work of mercy. That's the framework. That's the basic set of parameters that we're working with here in this program. Remember, you're made for this. You're made to be a saint. This isn't some weird add-on. This is a particular modality to go in the direction of fulfilling the very purpose of your existence. It's you, the real you, minus brokenness, minus evil. Make the decision, even now, even tonight, to get down to the business of actually making it happen by the grace of God. And I will see you in the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ forever. Pray for me. I'll pray for you too. Let's do it together. Now, if there are any questions about this session or about any of the sessions, happy to take them now. Any good prayer books that I recommend? Um, yeah, just, I like novenas. I love novenas. And so there's a book called A Treasury of Novenas. It's, it's not a recent book. I don't know when it was put out, but it's, it's a treasury of novenas. Really, really good. Um, if you're a priest and you happen to be listening to this, there's a book called The Priest at Prayer. Um, by Escribano, I think, that is out of print, been out of print since the 50s, but you can find copies on eBay. Um, I like, um, once again, St. Francis de Sales, he's got a lot of recommendations for uh, prayers there in the book. And so check out the novenas, um, check out the recommendations of the saints in their books on becoming a saint. They have some really good stuff in there. Uh, what are some things to consider in responding to homelessness? Um, as a downtown resident, the homeless community solutions are overwhelming. Yes, so that is a tricky thing, you know, here in our particular time period in Portland, Oregon. I'll say this, I don't have a solution, okay? I have some ideas, but this is not really the, the venue for me to share my concrete ideas about sociological structure. Um, 
I'll say this, no matter what the solution is, it involves charity. And true charity is not permissiveness. So it's just like if you had a kid and uh, they wanted to just willy-nilly do like whatever they wanted, if you let them do that, that would be an act of malice on your part. You'd be guilty of the sin of malice because you're actually required by the moral law and the objective structure of the universe to say, uh, no, there are parameters. We do the good and we avoid evil. That's what we do. And we have to learn to do that. We have to bend our intellect and our will and our passions in that direction by the grace of God. So concerning you know, homelessness here, I think one of the reasons that it has become as it has become here is that the parents of the society have said, do whatever you want. You know, the, um, the operative paradigm of the secular world has become relativism, radical relativism, which you can boil down to just the phrase, do whatever you want, it doesn't matter. So if you tell people that they can do whatever they want and it doesn't matter, they're gonna, they're gonna do whatever they want. And it's really going to go off the rails and that doesn't serve them. That's not an act of charity. That's not an act of love. So whatever the solution is, it's an act of charity. It's an act of love. Okay, it's not saying do whatever you want. How do you meditate on the mysteries of the rosary? Do you always follow the prescribed days or do a, a composition of place? So um, the rosary is a devotional prayer. And so you can uh, pray the various mysteries of the rosary on any day. Technically, to pray the rosary in a day is to pray all the mysteries, which is 20 of them right now. And so that's hefty. I like to do it on long car rides, get a nice big shot of grace going through the entire life, death, and resurrection of our Lord through the eyes of, of our Blessed Mother. Um, I generally do follow the days, you know, so the recommendation, um, because it parses it out very nicely. How to meditate on the mysteries? This will vary from person to person, but what works well for me is almost kind of a Lexio Divina style or a, an Ignatian style. I'm trying to picture what's happening because the mysteries are concrete realities, right? They're things that, that have happened. And so one of the reasons God gives us an imagination is so that we can execute a theoretical reality in our mind that then affects some kind of spiritual thing in our life. And so you, you, you take like a mystery, like I mentioned my story of the wedding feast at Cana. Man, if you have an experience like that of, of, of mystically being united to the wedding feast of Cana outside of space and time and, and knowing what's going on there in the, in the mind and the heart and the intentions of our Lord and our Blessed Mother, you're really not gonna think about that in a different way after that. And so that's, that's, what we're, that's what we're shooting for right there. So I would, I would try to actually visualize it and ask the Holy Spirit to help you visualize it. So you're, you're kind of doing two things at once, right? You're praying the prayers, but then you're meditating on it in that way. What does the Lord show you? What does the Holy Spirit show you in the midst of that? He'll reveal all kinds of things to you if your heart is open. Um, how do you best approach... Uh, confession and examination of conscience when you struggle with scrupulosity? So, good question. So, um, 
you know, scrupulosity for those who don't know is it's a temptation. So you've heard me say before, temptation is actually quite complicated. And so we think of temptation and we think of, I'm gonna eat too much cake. I'm gonna sleep with this person. I'm gonna cheat on my taxes. I'm gonna, and all of those are indeed temptations to, to something that's bad, but they're kind of big and flashy. When you progress through the spiritual life, the bigger flashier temptations become less flashy. They become more dull. You see the inherent um, silliness of it or the, the, the illogicality of it. And so it becomes less plausible in your mind. That's when temptation gets harder because temptation actually gets more complicated as you go through the spiritual life. The, the enemy has to adjust his plans to the level of spiritual evolution that you've gotten to. So if you're at a very base level, you're gonna be like you know, a, a baby going for their, their mom's keys or whatever. It's just a very like simple type of thing. But if I take my keys and I shake them in front of Father Peter, you know, he's gonna be like, what are you doing, man? Like, that's weird, like, okay? So I would have to do something, you know, a lot more clever to get his attention. That's what temptation becomes, it's something more clever. And a particular subtype of that is scrupulosity. So scrupulosity is the temptation to think that your sins are worse than they are, or to think that things that are not sins are sins, or to think that you have not confessed well enough and your sins are not forgiven. These types of realities. So, you know, if, if you struggle with that type of thing, when you're, when you're talking about confession, you're talking about an examination of conscience, using the seven deadly sins is a really solid thing to do because it's objective. You're running your thoughts through an objective filter or using Father Trujillo's examination of conscience with the Ten Commandments. It's going through that objective filter because if there's something wrong with the subjective filter, it has to be bounced off of something else. So if you struggle with scrupulosity, run it through some kind of objective reality that will help you parse out what is actually sinful and what may be just a temptation to think that that's something is sinful. This is where it helps to know theology. The better we know theology, the less subject we are to some of these higher grade, more complicated temptations. Um, do we need to fulfill all, given that we live long enough to achieve them, the sacraments in order to be a saint? Example, what if we don't intend to become married and have kids um, and not going into priesthood or becoming a nun? So it's a great question. We do not need to fulfill all of them. And we know this because we got tons of saints that were either unmarried or married but not many that were both, right? There are some, but not many that were both. And so the highest calling that our Lord can, can give to us is whatever he actually wants for us. You know, he has, he has willed for me the priesthood and I am eternally grateful to him for that. I completely understand from the inside of it now why this jives best with how he has made me. And so it's easier for me to want to pursue spiritual things in, in that mode. Conversely, 
someone that's called to marriage would find it easier in that regard. Whereas if they were put into the religious life, they'd probably be miserable or the priesthood. And where if I were thrown into the married life, I would have great interior agitation at, at, at not being in the state that, that God has, has perfectly willed for me. So they're not all strictly speaking necessary. The ones we're shooting for, mass, right? The Eucharist, shooting for good confession, general, regular, and then at the end of your life, anointing of the sick, and any sacrament that fits your state of life, so, so what God has called you to, so priesthood, you know, holy orders, marriage, and then we're getting the grace of hopefully um, a good solid Catholic funeral. Final reminder, why am I doing this? Why did I set this program up and dull it out for nine months and all of this? It's simple. We all have a reason that we exist. And in that reason, we are supposed to aid people in getting to heaven because that's the ultimate purpose of human life, any human life. This is just an aid to getting to heaven. So this is not some kind of funny little thing in my mind, like time burner. Let's kind of fill it up with something. This is me putting something out there saying, I'm trying to take this seriously. I'm begging God for the grace. Let's do that together. So any way that I can help you, any way that I can aid you by the mercy of God, you let me know. That's why I'm here. That's the only reason why I'm here. And I take it very seriously. And I'm eternally grateful to God for it. Okay? We go to heaven together. Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.